Hey, murder lovers, my name is Mackenzie. This is Patina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. So before we get started, it is hot in our little podcast room. Wait. So we have the door open, so we have to preface with saying our neighbors are having a party. They're having fun. We contemplated walking over some beer and saying, hey, can you keep it down for the next hour? But we're not going to be that neighbor. We're just going to let you know there might be some cheering because oh. I think they're playing beer pong. <laughs> we were going to ask them to keep it down. Oh. I thought we were just going to walk over a beer. Oh, just walk okay. over a beer? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> just join the party. I thought we were just going to go over there, but okay. <laughs> um, so you might be hear some cheering. I think they're playing some beer pong. Um it's not them. coming from you guys. It's so, coming from us. Right. So I remember it, when we had the birds chirping, somebody yeah. messaged us and was like, I spent an hour trying to figure out where those birds were coming from. I'm so sorry. So just want to let you guys know that there might be some cheering, some laughter, some just joyfulness coming from the background. On it has this, nothing so. to do with our podcast. No, we are definitely not talking about joyful stuff. All right. So without further ado, I am going to be talking about a case today that was presented to us by a listener. So this is a huge thank you to Lillian, aka Lily from Texas. Um, She gave me permission to use her name. I'm really thankful that she sent in this story. She sent it in about a week ago and she sent us in an email and then we just chatted for a bit, which was really nice. Um, I love talking to you guys uh, when you when you send us messages. I respond to the Facebook ones most of the time. Everything else goes to me. Everything else is Mackenzie. Because <laughs> um, I'm kind of awkward when it comes to writing and responding. But that Lily, being said, if something pops up on the Facebook one and I'm like, I'm interested, I like join the conversation. <laughs> so Lily was super sweet. We talked a bit uh, just about our general love for true crime. And the story that she sent me, I'm going to read the email that she sent me. And I'm... I. I All right, so here's the email that Lily sent me, and I am going to omit just some of the more personal details, but as far as the story is concerned, I'm going to read you the email that she sent me. She goes, so there is this boycotted forbidden park in my hometown. There are maybe 10,000 residents there, very tiny town, and I grew up there for 19 years and didn't know this park even existed in my hometown until I was an adult. My friend told me it was the, quote, rape park. I thought... Why is it called the rape park? Then they mentioned it was a park where that where an infamous rape and murder happened, one where the victim's father had plastered his son-in-law's face on a huge billboard. You have to pass on the I-10 to get into Houston from Louisiana. It was the story behind the movie Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. The woman who was murdered is Kathy. Her husband is Stephen Page, and her dad is James Fulton. It's technically an unsolved case. Because Steve was acquitted, but he now lives in Florida with a new family and everything. But everyone knows the truth, and it's generally accepted that they're as fact. My hometown is Fitter, Texas, and she lives in a different place now. And she just says that that town has a very long and dark history. And she sent me a couple links. She did an awesome job. You sent me some pictures that instantly hooked me into this story. Sent me a bunch of pictures of the now infamous billboards that are posted up around town thank you again lily for sending us this story i really can't tell you how much i really appreciate it because like i mentioned in the last episode just knowing that 
the listeners are interested in a, in a particular story, it just makes us dive deeper and it just makes the case that much sweeter to look into. So I am going to play the recording on how to say the town name because um, I thought it was funny <laughs> how she explains it. And then I wanted to make sure that I pronounced it correctly. It's pronounced Vider, V-I-D-O-R, Vider, like... It's not really like anything. Most people who pass through are like Vidor, but everyone who lives there calls it Vider. And I was like, it's wider with a V, yeah. like Victor. <laughs> yes. It's like Vider, not like anything. And I'm like, <laughs> like nothing else. So thank you again, Lily. So I'm just going to jump straight into it. So this case kind of blew my mind. And you guys know that we record a couple episodes on the same day, mm-hmm. right? So the last episode I talked about how I had had some recent dental work done and admittedly I was put on some medication, strong medication for pain and I had had a root canal and some like fillings and stuff done. Either way, I was sore, I was numb, I was under the influence of medication and I decided to watch this movie because It's loosely representing the actual case. So the movie that she's talking about is The Three Billboards in Ebbing, Missouri. It stars Woody Harrelson, and I (laughs) was um, a little out of it. And maybe that's why I got so invested in this movie in this case because it just stirred up a whole lot of feelings like I was feeling for the protagonist in the movie just like their sorrow how sad they were and so again it's loosely based on the true case but the story goes that the person who directed this movie was actually passing through Vitter, Texas when he saw these billboards back in the late 90s and was inspired to write this entire movie around it. Mm, okay. So the movie is about a mom who's outraged by the unsolved murder of her daughter. So she puts up these billboards. The real case is about a father doing it in Vitter, Texas. So obviously... Vider. Shit. Vider. Like wider. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Vider. I'm still under the influence of some stuff. She's high, 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 high. <laughs> as a kite right oh, now. Okay, and I'm hot too. It is really, it's really hot warm. In here. Okay, so this story starts with I'm going to tell you a little bit about Lucille Catherine Fulton Page. That is who the victim is in this case. Okay. Vider. 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 Okay. So this is the case of Lucille Catherine Fulton Page. So a little background on her. She was born in Vider, Texas, born and raised, and she met her husband, Stephen Page, and they got married almost right away. I think after just a couple of months of knowing each other, she is allegedly the mistress that he had during his first marriage Mm. because after his divorce went through, he got married with Kathy. Everyone calls her Kathy, even though that's just her middle name. And they 
got married three months after his divorce, and then just a couple months later, they got married in August, their uh, baby, their first baby was born in May. So right after the marriage, there was a baby. Some people now in hindsight say that she didn't really get married for love, that she got married because of the baby. Ah. So first baby is born in the summer of 78, and that's baby Aaron. And then a couple years later in 83, they have a second child, Monica, and life seems well and dandy. Their kids are involved in school activities and whatnot. So altogether, they spend 13 years to what seems like the outside world happily married. Full 13 years of marriage. On that 13th year, in May of 1991, Kathy finally asked Steve for a separation and was building up the courage to ask him for a divorce. So at the beginning of May is when he started, you know, figuring stuff out, was going to get his own apartment and whatnot, at least for, you know, this separation period. According to him, he didn't think that it was going to lead on to a full divorce. According to her friends and family, they're saying that, yes, she was just building up the courage to ask for the actual technical divorce. So on... May 13th, uh, both of their girls were involved in softball. Um, prior in that day, it was a Tuesday or a Monday. He had gotten the girls ready to go to school and he took them to school after school. They both had softball games because their ages are a little bit different. They played in different games. Mm-hmm. And this was actually the first night, May 13th, that Steve was going to be spending in his very own apartment for the first night. Okay. So... Once school was over, he brought them home, and then Kathy got ready, got the girls ready. They all went to the softball game in separate cars, knowing that because Aaron was going to play the first game, Kathy, once that game finished, she took her home, you know, got her ready for bed, etc. And then once the second game finished for the other girl, Steve brought her home to her, Mm -hmm. to their joint house, And then right around nine o'clock, supposedly or allegedly, Kathy called Steve and said, hey, can you come over tonight and watch the girls? My girlfriend, Charlotte, is asking me to go have a drink with her after she gets off of work. So he says, no problem. He comes over and he's going to babysit the girls for the night. Well, babysit kids, it's his own kids. But so he comes over and he's going to he's planning on spending the night uh, while she goes out and gets some drinks with her with her girlfriend. And then he says that she left the house at around 11, 15, 11, 30. That's his consistent timeline. That's what he's saying happened. And then, so the night goes on. And the next morning, there is a car found in a ditch. Hmm. And this is found by a paper boy who called in the police because he saw a vehicle in the ditch. And the police pull up and super odd right off the bat first of all it's kathy's car kathy's in the car it's a hundred yards from her home a hundred yards 300 feet like really not that far away from your house but it's pointing away from the house like it's going off the main road away from the house and it's into this ditch and the cops noticed right away there is no tire marks on the road there's no brake marks or anything that would show that. So it wasn't like they swore. A sudden or, thing. Or, yeah. Right. 
And there's no violent damages, per se, on the vehicle. The cops on scene say that, for all intents and purposes, it looked like it was just a slow roll into the hill. Okay? Or into the ditch. I'm sorry. And the damage is just on the front right side of the of the bumper area and the headlight. And then they notice something odd right away. The nose of the car is pointing down. Yeah. She is in the driver's seat. No seatbelt on. And this is where it gets interesting because I have a list of things. Oh, she that was are wrong actually in the car. She was in the car. Okay. So she is in the car and in the driver's seat, no seatbelt on. Mm-hmm. Her feet are parallel to her sitting, so they are straight down, like you would be sitting in a chair. They are not towards the controls, towards the pedals at all. Okay. And her head is tilted back. It's touching the headrest. Mm-hmm. There is a broken nose on her. There is a black eye. And there is marks on her neck. Interesting. Okay. And then, so right away... The cops go to Steve's house or to their house together mm-hmm. and knock on the door. And this is around five o'clock in the morning. And the cop's like, hey, where's do you know where your wife is right now? First question, I'm sure cop, you know, just kind of fishing around to see yeah. if you know where your wife is. The cop knocks on the door. And before he says anything, he goes, my wife's not here. <laughs> to the cop. Okay. I'm sorry. If a cop is knocking on my door at five o'clock in the morning, which I'm sure was not a light knock. Yeah. I would say, what the hell is wrong? What is wrong? Yeah. Why are you here? Why are you here? Not my wife's not here. How do you know they're there for your wife? My mommy is not home. Right. Exactly. So the cop notices that everything is dark in the house. So he knocks on the door. He has this conversation with him. And then he asks him, hey, can we go talk in your living room? And Steve proceeds into the living room without turning any lights on. So the cop is just relying on his flashlight. And he says that Steve does react like a grieving husband, like wondering what happened. And then he's sobbing. But then when he flashes his flashlight on his face, there's no tears coming at him Mm. whatsoever. Mm. So then the cops, you know, do the full invest. They're trying to do this full investigation. He starts calling family and, you know, telling her dad, her parents and his sister, um, but here's where it gets starts getting even more odd. He tells the sister right away that she had an accident mm-hmm. and that she must have been drunk and on Valium. Because she was prescribed Valium for anxiety because that's what it's usually prescribed for. Um, the autopsy report said absolutely zero alcohol in her system. Okay. So come to find out. Kathy, the night before, was not actually going out for drinks. She was not going to go meet Charlotte, but she had asked Charlotte to cover for her because she was actually going to go go meet a boyfriend. Ooh. Yeah. So this is back in 1991. So this is back in the old days where you had a notepad next to your telephone because you write down numbers, Mm -hmm. right? There's no caller ID at this point. So she had Charlotte's number written down. And then there was another number written down underneath Charlotte's phone number. She had asked Charlotte, like, hey, I'm telling Steve I'm going to be with you for the night. Can If he calls you, just don't pick up because I don't want you to have to lie. Just don't pick up, mm-hmm. right? Because you won't know exactly where I'm at, et cetera. So, unfortunately, Charlotte gets a call at around 2.30 in the morning. 
And she said that she just instinctively picked up because it's right, a 2.30 in the morning phone call. And, and she, again, doesn't know who it is that's calling. Right, because it's 1991. So she says that she picked up the phone and then she just gets hung up on. What I'm thinking happened is that Steve called. Well, we know Steve called now because in hindsight, we know it was Steve's number that called. Um, but realized that maybe he had woken up Charlotte and that would have told them all mm. that... You know, yeah. Kathy wasn't with her. So what he did is that he called the second number that was on that notepad. And that second number was to the Best Western, a town over oh, in Beaumont. So I don't know if anyone picked up that phone or if it was just to the front desk and he confirmed who might have been renting that room. Right. But regardless, a motel's phone number is not going to look good when he verified that you're not with your friend. That's not good. So, so from there, the family is trying to figure out what happened, right? And the cops ask him permission to go into the house because that is her home, right? Mm-hmm. They want, I mean, it happened 300 feet from her house. Yeah. Um, so he denies them entry. 100%. Yeah. And again, you have to keep in mind, this is a really small town, less than 10,000 people. And it's a well-known fact that his family and his parents, more specifically, are very chummy with the chief and with the the cops there. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I have to, like, I've seen the movie, so I'm having to differentiate between, like... The movie, the movie and the actual and the case. Story. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, her body wasn't found in the car. Right, right. <laughs> so... They they asked him for entry, just like willing entry, and he denied that. Mm-hmm. And then here's one thing that I found that was very interesting. Obviously, in this case, a lot of people think that the cops just didn't do their due diligence or just didn't follow up on leads and whatnot. But the cops that were initially assigned to the case or the detectives, they asked the DA for a search warrant, but it was not granted to them. Oh, so I think the ball accidentally falls on the detectives that were doing the case. But it really, I think, comes down to the DA at the time that wasn't approving these search warrants because they couldn't sign a search warrant themselves and execute it. They had to get DA approval. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Okay, so then asks Steve permission to do an autopsy. He denies he says that he doesn't want his wife to be cut up. To a certain extent, I understand that. But also suspicious no. if you think right off the bat that your wife died under suspicious circumstances. Right? I don't ever really understand in those situations if you don't know what happened, why you would say no. Right. It's one thing if you know. So, her family, her dad more specifically, yeah, somehow the was hero able the to... Go grant permission to have an autopsy done. Oh, interesting. And thank goodness that he did. So they found even more information, even just beyond. I'm going to go more into the details of the car and the autopsy, kind of mixed in together. So a couple um, funny things. So when they found the car, the car was still on and running. Yeah. Okay. And then there is pictures that we have that... She had two soft drinks in the cup holders of the front, and they were still intact, even though the vehicle was, like, nose down into a ditch. Mm -hmm. If it had been any kind of significant impact, those probably would have been spilled. 
Right. But they weren't. Again, she was sitting up straight. The seatbelt was not on. It was... Was there any sign of, like, if she hit her nose and broke her nose, there should be blood on the steering wheel? The car was clean, including the soft drinks that were still in their cup intact. And it's interesting that you say, like, the damage is indicative of it rolling because it sounds like it was almost pushed into the ditch. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So there was also the crime scene investigators um, found that there was blades of grass on her calf area on her jeans, Mm -hmm. which would show that she was probably dragged Dragged. before that. And then uh, we talked about the broken nose, the black eye, no skid marks. The rear view mirror was moved. So if you're sitting in the vehicle, it was moved off towards the driver's side. Your rear view mirror. Okay, got it. So it was pushed into the driver's side. So the mirror was actually physically touching the windshield from the inside towards the driver's side. And here's one explanation for that. Obviously, this looks like a setup, right? Like a cover-up. So if someone had pushed or shoved or moved her her body in from the passenger side, they would have moved that mirror or maybe inadvertently pushed that mirror from right to left from the passenger Mm -hmm. side to the driver's Mm -hmm. side Mm -hmm. and there is the strangulation marks that the coroner determined that is very likely done by someone that was left-handed oh so they actually did determine that that was a manual strangulation yes so her her uh reason of death was strangulation yes it Mm. was not an impact it was not the crash there was no drugs or alcohol in her body um, there were blood stains in her underwear and underneath her clothes, but none on her clothes because there was a laceration on the back of her head, but her the back of her head at the time they found her was resting completely on the headrest. There was no other indication that it happened inside that vehicle. Got it. They did determine that she had had recent sexual... Intercourse. Intercourse or an encounter. Uh, So here's what's interesting about that part. They found out that the semen that was inside of her Mm -hmm. was full of blanks. It was from someone that had had a vasectomy. Who had a vasectomy? So the boyfriend that was at the Best Western. Yeah. They checked him. They ruled him out right away. Lie detector test. All these things. His time checked out. He's shooting valid stuff. <laughs> He's not a fixed man. No. Steve Pages. Oh. He'd gone to vasectomy three or four months before. Oh. So Steve then went on to explain that when he went over to take over the kid sitting mm-hmm. at around 930 or so, that... Kathy was in the middle of getting ready. She was getting dolled up. She, you know, she had makeup on. She looked pretty. She, um, but at this point, she only had a towel on. Yeah. And that, and God, his words, he approached her for sex and they consensually had sex in the living room carpet right before she left. Was there blood on the living room carpet? So that's where we're at with the sex part, right? Okay. He later goes on to explain 
that there might have been a blood stain in the living room carpet mm-hmm. from her shaving her legs. As one often does in the living in room. In the living room. <laughs> and then just, I can't imagine any type of pool of blood coming from shaving your legs unless you nick an artery. Um, and if you're like new at shaving your legs, but I mean, Get that ankle bone just right. Oh, man. that oh. ankle. That's true. That though. thing freaking mm. bleeds. Mm. <laughs> or the back of the knee. I've done that. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. So, sorry. The audio on um, that one was. Yeah. <laughs> so, here's some. This case is just full of twists and turns. So, the camera <laughs> that the crime scene investigator showed up with that night of the scene of finding her body is. 1991 35 millimeter camera the kind you put a little roll in and you yeah you know scroll it all the way and click away the camera had no film in it oh my god so there was no preservation of what this actual crime scene looked Looked like like. but of course everyone that reported to the scene there is no deviation as to how her body was found what they saw so as far as preserving the evidence it's unfortunate because of course pictures tell a thousand words but the story is uh, consistent right okay. everyone that saw her her legs straight up and down nowhere near the petals etc so then so right off the bat the husband is suspect number one right enemy number one obviously and they just never were able to get into the house to do a full investigation of where she was last seen. So when she was found, though, here's another bit of interesting information. No jewelry on her. Her wedding ring was gone and no makeup. Her face had been wiped clean. I'll show you pictures. She was a doll. She just always like full face. And she red was lip. getting ready to leave. Right. Well, Supposed he's saying that she left... After they had sex. Yeah. And that, according to him, she was going to go hang out with Charlotte. And then he didn't see her ever again. And then the cops came and knocked on the door the next morning. That's his story. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, last he saw her, she was in a full face. Uh So, her sister is saying, her sister Cheryl, I believe, says she knows her sister. And the only time that she wiped off a full face was when she was getting ready for bed and she would wash her face. She would Mm -hmm. take off her jewelry because she would have soap and stuff on her hands and then she would be rubbing her face. She would pull her hair back so she can wash her face normally. And so here's where we think may have happened. The boyfriend says she left the hotel, motel, at around 2.30 in the morning. We know that around 2.30 timeline is when he called Charlotte. He changes the timeline depending on who he's telling this to, whether he caught Charlotte at two in the morning, three or four. Um, but we know for sure he called her again at around 4.30. Um, and, you know, Charlotte said something along the lines of like, she should be home by now or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the town that she was in, in Beaumont at the Best Western, was 10, 15 minutes away. So if she left the, the motel at around 2.30, she would have been home no later than like 3, 3.30. At the latest. Let's say she stopped and got some food. But, you know, that's not the case. Anyway, um, the theory is what I believe happened, what I think the entire town believes happened, is that he called Charlotte, pick up, hang up. He called Best Western and realized she is with a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then when she got home, 
she got to the point where she was dressing down, you know, taking off a full face face makeup, took off her jewelry, and he attacked her. Yeah. In the living room. Yep. Sexually assaulted her. And then this is where he gets... People say this differently. Some say that he had some type of remorse and like cleaned her up. I think he panicked and knew what he th- what he'd done, so he cleaned her up because obviously a broken nose would have caused a nosebleed. Yeah, literally, probably and like just drove the car down three hundred feet and pushed it into and a ditch. pushed it into a ditch and then just shoved her over into the driver's seat. Yeah, I agree. So, so that's what everyone believes happened, and. They, because the no makeup, no jewelry is not like her to go out like that. Mm -hmm. You know, just inconsistencies that the family saw. So a couple of people now are starting to resurface as far as witnesses and what they think they saw the night of or what they think they've heard through, you know, time that goes on or through the rumor mill because it's a small town. So the morning... That her body was found on May 14th. Of course, the whole family is coming over to the house, right? What the hell? What are we doing? What's going on? Her sister says that she remembers very vividly, and and actually her entire side of the family remembers very vividly, vividly, that they heard a load of laundry going Mm -hmm. at six o'clock in the morning. Okay, very odd. And at that point, he had said something along the lines like one of the girls had peed the bed or soiled the bed. Mm -hmm. So he was doing a load of laundry. The girls didn't wake up till eight o'clock that morning, even though there was all this hubbub going on. Yeah. Okay. And they all remember that in the living room, there was a little bit of a mess that there was clothes that were still on hangers, but laying on the floor. Almost like they were covering covering up something. Right. That's what I'm thinking. I think that's what they're thinking, too. And then the day, you know, a couple days go by. They're all coming back to the house and whatnot. And her side of the family. And, of course, we get different accounts because his side, I think, is sticking by him. Yeah. Um, And her side of the family is saying, no, we came over and we saw his sister and another woman, like, vigorously cleaning the carpet. We saw them cleaning the carpet and we asked them what it was and they said it was a grease stain. And he said that it was a grease stain too, but it was very concentrated to one spot. It wasn't like a trail of grease or anything because Mm -hmm. his story was that after they'd found her on that Tuesday, he had forgotten about trash day, etc. And that he was taking some trash to the backyard to burn it Mm -hmm. because he had missed trash day. So as he was taking some of the trash to the backyard to burn it, there was an old mayo jar that was full of grease and that as he was trailing it through the house, the lid slip off, slipped off and it fell on the carpet and it made this stain. This would have had to have been fresh grease though. Uh-huh. Otherwise it would have been coagulated. But he also told investigators that it, she bled on the carpet. Uh-huh. Oh, no yeah. One's, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm just making. Oh, well, I know. Yeah. I know. Okay. I know. I know. There is no making sense, but there is making sense yeah. of it. Um, the dad, even though the investigators, they really couldn't look into it because they couldn't step into the house without permission. Right. So the dad and her family say 
the way that the path would have been taken to go into the back door would have not been on top of that carpet. Exactly. And then if you spill something, I'm sure from, you know, holding it height, that it would have a splatter pattern that it would at least spread a little bit. Yes. It would not just be a circle. Yeah. Pool it's not of like blood. you dumped it specifically upside down. Exactly. And then there's different testimonies that eventually came up from his side of the family. Um, and and just, you know, people remember things differently when they witness or when they recount what they witness. Um, but some of his sisters say like, oh, no, I saw him spill it. Uh, he was walking with it. I saw the lid spill, uh, you know, break off or fall off. And the other sisters like she went back and forth on whether there was a lid on it or there wasn't a lid. Just the, the differences in their stories never match up. Yeah. There is a grocery clerk, to matter of fact, that testified. One that was very certain that it was Steve Page that came in and rented a carpet cleaner. And then one that just remembers a carpet cleaner being rented, but is not 100% sure on who it was. Um, and... Another one that recounts very specifically, it was Steve Page that came and returned it. And he denies all of this. And I don't know that it's because of lack of video cameras at the time or lack of receipts or what have you. But there is no evidence, at least that I'm aware of, that says, at least we've got receipts of you renting this or we've got video Mm -hmm. footage. So it's all like hearsay information. Because he's saying, I never rented a carpet machine. We were just cleaning up a grease stain. It just happened to be that week because I was trying to take out the trash, whatever. So about this burning pile, too, he said that he was not only going to burn up all the trash that didn't get picked up, but he also used some rags to wipe up the grease that would fallen. And that that's what he was burning in the backyard. And one of the neighbors just says that she has a ceramic shop so she is aware of what burning chemicals smell like mm-hmm. um and that he had a big like bonfire going and she smelled a lot of chemicals and whatnot and if you ask me it's probably bleach but um that's just me they never looked into that but again it was on his property and they couldn't come in without a warrant so this is like the big roadblock in all of this that the da was not willing to issue a warrant on his house um because of all her jewelry that was missing one of her sisters remembers that while they were all in the house one of his friends came over friend named roger According to her memory, he came into the house with a manila envelope, like a yellow envelope, and they went upstairs to where Kathy's room would have been. Mm-hmm. And when he walked in, it looked seemingly empty. And then when they walked out, she recalls like jingling mm-hmm. or metal clinking in the envelope. So all the stuff that was missing from her on that night was for sure now missing from the house yeah so either he took away you know her jewelry from the night or just in general took away her jewelry because it was nowhere to be found she had several watches one in particular that she would have had on that night that was never found they were never able to bring a criminal case against him what ended up happening is that 
you know, with the small town rumors flying, I'm sure the you know we know the family did not keep their mouth shut because they oh, wanted no. some kind of justice. And I mean, he bought bill- billboards. They're oh, not, right. Like so, the family was is out to get him. Yeah, and he felt that pressure. So at her gravesite, you know, normally like a grieving family would go lay flowers, go lay decorations. They noticed that her flowers no, were no longer there or they were found feet away like they had been thrown or kicked. So they hired a private investigator. The private investigator set up with a camera. I'll show you the footage because it is crazy. Steve, this motherfucker, on camera, you can see him going and kicking the shit out of the flowers on her grave. Jesus. He is convicted of desecrating grave. Good. Okay. We got something. Got something. What is the sentence? So, um, I think he had to pay a fine. But then her family also took him to civil court for wrongful death. And the jury determined that he had a hand in her murder, but still was not able to bring a criminal case against him. He had to pay somewhere upwards, I think, $200,000 like restitution to her family mm-hmm. for being proven guilty for wrongful death because they brought all this information. Like, it just doesn't match up. I mean, hello, 300 feet from the house. Um, vasectomy, shooting blanks. Uh, you know, all, all these things just don't match up. And then what they do is that the dad... <laughs> As crazy as it might sound, on his own property, mind you, he had billboards and he started, they started off as handmade, hand painted billboards saying that he wanted justice for his daughter, that he knew that the police or just the deputies in that town had taken a bribe. And this is why this quote unquote murderer was on the loose and was never convicted for his daughter's brutal murder. And so that started gaining some attention. And to this day, there is no actual criminal case that was ever brought on to, for Steve Page. And like Lily mentioned in her email, he's living life in Florida now with uh, a family. And unfortunately, one of the daughters, um, because of the pressures of all of this and, you know, I'm, God, I can't imagine, uh, OD'd at the age of 28. Oh. Um, and... <sighs> yeah, just heartbreaking case. And it's just... So he got away with murder. He got away with murder. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> yeah. And there is some episodes out there. I'll link them. I'll probably include them in the groups page. But there is some episodes out there. There's a Unsolved Mysteries. Super old school. But they yeah. do a reenactment. And then more recently... I think it's 2017 or 18 that Cold Case Justice came out with an episode. Okay. And they did a really good episode because they go back and they actually talk to the witnesses. And they actually talk to Steve as well. So Steve was is on camera talking to them, obviously agitated. Right. Uh, because he's like, you guys are just asking me the same questions, asking, you know, you're trying to make me trip up, all these things. Um, and where it gets funny is that his timeline of his knowledge doesn't match the timeline because the phone call that allegedly that he'd made to Kathy's father in the morning after he told her he had passed away he'd let him know like he sh- he should be prepared for news or for media to bring up 
stuff on her because she had an affair. He shouldn't have known that have known. at five o'clock yeah. in the morning when they had just found he her was body. Clueless up until that exactly. point. Exactly. Interesting. And then when he talked to Kathy's sister initially, like we said, he had told her that it was like an accident and that she had been drinking and doing and, and taking Valium. So again, the, just his stories and his knowledge didn't match up. Um, and I and I don't think it's on the detectives on this one. Yeah. Although, to a certain extent, I think a detective does have to, like, fight for mm-hmm. a search warrant to be granted. Maybe. Maybe they could have been fought a little harder. I'm, like, I'm kind of shocked so that they didn't They get one. didn't grant one until three years after, Too late. Too so, late. at that point, they came into the house. They illuminated the carpet. It was inconclusive, of right. course. Because you have three years of walking on yeah. it, plus I'm sure whatever products. Because um, once you're trying to get away with it, I'm, I would dump all kinds of stuff on Hell, it. Go it and throw you off. Be the same carpet at that point. Exactly. Yeah. It was, but it was just inconclusive. And then they also did some samplings of the backyard because of the fire and whatnot. Again, inconclusive um, because they couldn't tell yeah, what it's had been, been too burned. Freaking long. Yeah, it's been a long time. So poor family. Dad's still alive. James Fulton is still alive. And he still has these billboards up. Good for him. Um, we will post the majority of them that Lily sent me on, you know, Instagram and all of our normal stuff. There's a couple more sensitive ones that I will post into the group page just because yeah. they're um, they're a little too sensitive. Uh, but there's also, I mean, this town is just <laughs> small town America. Um, yeah. There's also... Apparently, this park, which is the rape park that she's talking about. Yeah, that doesn't sit well. That it just, it, from what I read, it was a dumping ground for all kinds of hazardous materials and just dead animals from the kill shelter that was nearby Ew. and all these things. And then it was just useless land and the town couldn't sell it to anyone. So in order to get like a tax break, they made it into a park. They just covered it with soil and made it into a park. But it's just, it, it sounds like a dangerous place to be at, if you oh, ask me. God. So uh, that's what, that's the park that she's talking about. It just, and then the dad, I don't know if it was the dad actually, but there's very uh, graphic um, billboards up on that as well. So oh. I'll show you those as well. Okay. I'll put those on the page. Um, but just very interesting. I've lived in small town before. And it's true. Rumor mills fly. And then, you know, I think the DA and the cops would have benefited more from talking to more people. Now, because of that cold justice case, there is a witness that was found, an alleged witness that says that that morning of May 14th, when he was driving down, he remembers seeing a man walking on the road where she was found near his house. Mm-hmm. And he remembers thinking to himself, oh, it's Steve Page. That's weird. And then he didn't think about it till the next day or till later in the day when he saw the news reports that, you know, her body had been found and in a ditch, etc. Maybe he didn't come forward because he was with his mistress at the time. Oh God. Yeah. So he didn't want to burn himself. And say, I was with this person at this time on this day. See, everybody out there, (sighs) small towns, you guys go wild. Just thotting and bopping all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, so he 
didn't come forward out of the fear of burning himself. And then uh, on this show, they found the potential who would have been the mistress. But she doesn't remember because she was asleep in the passenger seat. So just really interesting. Totally recommend the movie. It's completely different. The only thing that it takes from the actual case is the anger that the parent has and the balls that they have to have these billboards up on in the town for everyone to see saying, I want justice for my kid. Um, but other than that, I don't see any other similarities. Um, the, the, the movie is not the same as the case where we think it's yeah. actual corruption. No, and in the movie, it's inspired by, not it's inspired, based on. right? So, yeah. other than the billboards and the angry parent, um, I would say you would have to be in a really good headspace to watch it because it can get very emotionally uh, involved. If you let it, for me, I was in like out of mind state. Like I was, I was not prepared for how emotional it was because it's one of those movies where the dialogue is strong, yeah. But just the story is God, just so impactful. A lot of swearing in that movie. Yeah, yeah, there is. I, I, I believe she got nominated for some awards or something. It was really good acting. I'm trying to remember what actress that is. Um, Hold on. Yeah, and and trigger warning: there's self harm in the movie. There's a suicide. So if you don't want to watch that if you're not in the right headspace then don't do it but it's four bucks if you want to rent it on youtube i will post the links to the cold case episode as well as the unsolved mysteries episode which is just funny to see a really old school show i love that show but um the reenactments one of the few shows that does reenactments yeah it's a hurting mother and it just it hurt to see it but totally recommend that and then to tag on to that um well i guess that's the case of kathy yeah. kathy page in fighter texas thanks again lily thank you so much thanks for sending really, that over really really liked researching that one you know what's so funny is like i read her very first message and it was like hey y'all and i was like she's from texas <laughs> <laughs> yes she was yes she is um go texas so there is I, I think I told you about it. The show on Hulu? Hulu. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, Hulu, yeah. accused, colon, guilty or innocent. Did you watch it yet? No, but oh. it actually just popped up on my search like an hour ago when I was looking for something else. They're listening to us. Um, so, totally recommend it. It's episodial, except for the last episode. It's a two-parter. But every episode, what they do is that they follow a live case that is pending trial. So they usually do it about three or four months before the case is due to go to trial. And they show you the case and what is being presented by the prosecution as well as the defense. And you can kind of make your own conclusions. Myself, I was very involved in the cases and I was like rooting one way or the other. I won't tell you which ways, but um, definitely really well done. Like the the plot, like the way that it was made, I hadn't seen that type of show before mm -hmm. that they show you the case before going to trial. Mm -hmm. And most of the cases, actually every case has like one big piece of evidence that this is all contingent on either a video a recording yeah like a like a fingerprint uh and you get to see that mm -hmm. and kind of draw your own conclusions yeah so it's just a really really nice show so totally recommend that and it reminded me of just 
making a decision based on the evidence yeah. as I was researching this one too. And I'm like, hello, the evidence is all here for this guy, mm-hmm. for Steve Page. And I'm like, I don't know how, even with this huge amount of evidence, they didn't do more. So recently I actually Googled Kathy Page or Googled searched on Facebook because I sometimes look it up to see what's going on if anyone's recently talking about it. Mm-hmm. And just recently, I believe it was last year, because there's a new DA, they Uh-oh. put up new billboards offering a $50,000 reward. And with offering rewards, of course, comes the people coming out of the woodwork saying they saw, heard something. Right. So at the very least, they're following up on new leads and they're reinvestigating the case. Okay. So we might have a conclusion to this. At some point. At some point. As of right now, it's still unsolved. Um, but we know for sure it wasn't in a car accident and that it was definitely staged. So there's that. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like whether or not she was murdered isn't disputed. It's just who did it. Right. Because her cause of death is strangulation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. About the left-handed stuff. He's left-handed. So, so, yes. But his family says that, no, he's right-handed, that he was a really good basketball player. He's ambidextrous but, but, or whatever. But he's ambidextrous, yeah. So he's denying that he's left-handed. Okay. Um <laughs> I would just say follow the fucker like, for I was a couple say, days. Post up that private right? investigator and see what happens. Right. I Have just him sign see, a couple things. Just watch him eat one time. See yeah. what happens. Watch him eat. Watch Hand him sign him a something. Fork. Exactly. Hand him a drink. Something. Yeah. Make him open a fridge. I don't know. Do something. Honestly, I'm really glad that I'm right-handed. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> My brother's a lefty, and I'm like, oh, really? you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> and your life shorter. So. <laughs> So, yeah, really interesting story along with that recommendation for that show. That's what I've got for you guys today. I can't thank uh, Lily enough. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Got Carol involved in it. Uh. She says she doesn't like true crime, but I think she's changing. Oh, that's why you were like, she's bouncing off the walls about this. Now I get it. Yes. Okay. Any other true crime tea time? I don't think so. I think we're we're good. good. All right, so if you guys have any stories like the ones that Lily and Annaline have recently sent in and you want us to do some research for you, we'd love to do that. Please send them over to us in our email, which is astrangerdangerpodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't done so already, we'd love a review on iTunes podcast. It helps us be found by other listeners just like you. And also, if you haven't popped over to Patreon and seen what's good, go on over uh, and check us out there and become a murder lover at patreon.com forward slash stranger danger podcast thanks guys thank you bye bye